It's actually really quite interesting uh, a few moments ago to, to look at you. <laughs> it was interesting um, to look at, the, from my vantage point, to look out at the condition um, when Adrian came up and read God's words. Do you know what I saw when Adrian was reading? I looked out and I saw a sea of faces that sparked with recognition. And Adrian was reading that portion of scripture. I saw a sea from where I sit up here. I saw a sea of familiarity. And I know why that is. Many people in this room just now know something of this portion of scripture. Uh, they know it maybe reasonably well. Is that right? Wise man and the foolish man. Maybe some of you uh, sang songs uh, in Sunday school of a wise man building his house upon the on the rock, maybe others of you had your parents read to you from children's Bibles about that foolish man and uh, his house being flattened. You know, many of us in here, we know something, don't we? We know something. Even in this age of biblical illiteracy, don't you agree that this portion of Scripture is kind of up there with Daniel and the lion's den? It's up there with Noah's Ark. It's a story that, yeah, one of the most recognizable sections of God's Word. We know something of this story, right? We do. But what was it that Alexander Pope uh, once said? Did he not say, a little bit of learning is a dangerous thing. A little bit of knowledge is a dangerous thing. So here's, I'm wondering, do we really know this portion of scripture? Like, yeah, like for you and for me, it does ring bells in the far off distance. But I wonder, have you ever really dug into this section of scripture before? Have you really studied it in the past? I mean, is it just, I wonder, is it just a children's tale? Is it? I mean, we relegate some of these stories into that sort of category, don't we? Well, is that right? I mean, is this just a fluffy little story with a superficial plot? Or is it actually something different? I mean, is it something actually for all of us in here? And could it actually be that God has a very, very serious message for us from this account in his word? Well, this morning I've got an idea. Why don't we try and find out? Okay. So can I ask you, first of all, to do this with me? Could you turn with me back to this portion of scripture? Could you this morning have God's word open in front of you? Matthew 7, 24. We're going to refer time and time again to these verses here. And so have it in front of you uh, as we consider the first of our three headings this morning. And it's this. Let's think about, firstly, the substance of the contrast. Okay, that's the first thing we're going to think about. The actual substance of the contrast here. Now, in our really affluent society and our prosperous city that we're living in, um, there seems to be, I think, one dream that lots of people have high above many other dreams. And you can correct me later if I'm wrong on this, but I, I think that lots and lots of people long to design and build their own home. 
Isn't that right? Isn't that a big dream that lots of people have got? There's your, you know, your fantasy of Western society, the Western dream to build their own, design and build your own. That's the reason that shows like Grand Designs are so incredibly popular, isn't it? And it's the reason why so many people are willing to work every hour of every day, this dream, one day designing and building their own home. Well, of course, it's something like that that we're dealing with here, is it? Isn't it? I mean, Jesus teaches us, doesn't he? But what does he do? He tells us of two men who are involved or have been involved in building projects. Isn't that? We've got two men this morning who have designed and they have built our own home. Now, I guess we could say, couldn't we, on one level, that this section of scripture is very simple. Maybe you're thinking that. Maybe you'd say that to me. Andy, this is a pretty straightforward portion of Scripture. Is that what you'd say to me? You know, we've just got a contrast. One hand, who have we got? We've got a wise man. Builds his house on a rock. And who is he? Did you notice who he is? He's the man who hears and does. And he's contrasted with the foolish man. Builds his house in the sand. He's the man who hears and does nothing at all. So maybe you're saying this is this is really simple. Come on, this is incredibly elementary stuff this morning. But do you know what? I was with you earlier on. Like, I'm one of these people who, came, who sang those songs about the wise man in Sunday school, you know? And, like, I can vividly remember when I was, like, four or five years old, my mother sitting with me with a Blue Lions children's Bible, the storybook Bible. And I remember my mom when I was a little, totty little kid, she reading the story. And now I'm 40 years old. Do you know what I'm asking? What is this about? Really, like hearing and doing and like genuinely, what is this? Like, what is Christ calling for from this portion of scripture? I'll tell you this. The first thing that I've got to do here is I think I've got to spell out what the Lord Jesus Christ is not teaching us this morning. Let's go there first. What Christ is not saying in this portion of scripture. And for this, I want to take you into my email inbox. Okay. See, I wonder if my email account is the same as yours, okay? Like in my email, there are only three changes you can make to the text. Is your email the same as us? The only things that I can do, I can select bold, underline, or italics. There's nothing else I can do with it, really, in my email account. I can just select those. Is yours the same as that? Maybe, maybe not. Well, what I want us to do is imagine that the next phrase that I say, that we select all three of those things. That really annoys me when somebody sends me something. <laughs> they use too many font, too many, you know, things like that, right? Okay, we're going to do that. I want you to imagine this next phrase is in bold, is in italics, and it's underlined. You ready for it? You imagine it? Here, Christ is not teaching salvation by works. You get it? He is not teaching salvation by works. And you can see, can't you, why we have to deal with that. Because I, I need to, you understand, so many people have drawn that conclusion from this portion of scripture. Like they hear Jesus Christ say, say at this point, hear and do, and what do they conclude? They conclude that Jesus Christ is promoting this idea of justification by works. The idea that in this portion of scripture and throughout Christianity, what's the message of Christianity? We've got to pull our socks up. 
We've got to turn over a new leaf. We've got to try a little bit harder. We've got to pull ourselves up by the, the bootstraps. That would be the message of Christianity. We think about it for a, think about it for a moment. As if the Son of God eternal has come into the world, has lowered himself in, in humility. Why has he done it? They would say, well, to tell us to try a little bit harder. Now, if you have been here for this sermon series, I'm hoping that you can can form an argument against that. Can you? I mean, you think about it for a moment. How did this Sermon on the Mount begin? Do you remember? Christ is blessed are the poor in spirit. They were to accept our spiritual poverty that we cannot pull our socks up efficiently before God, effectively before God. And then what does Christ do? Oh, this great revelation from Jesus Christ that to be right with God, we need a new type of righteousness. We need a heart righteousness for the kingdom of God. Friends, if there is anyone in this room just now who thinks being made right with God is on you to pull your socks up, to try harder. You've got to hear this. You've got to hear this. You are underestimating just how sinful you really are. I mean, do, do you see the logic? If we're sitting in here and we're thinking, oh, the message of Christianity is I've got to turn over a new leaf. And I've got to stop doing that, and I've got to try and do this, and I've got to change this, and I've got to, I've got to do this. Pull myself. If you're thinking that's the message of Christianity, wow, you are miscalculating just how wicked you stand today in the sight of a holy and perfect and righteous God. Hear me. Listen to me. You and I, we are so sinful. We do not just need to make changes. We are so sinful. We need to be made new. This is not about making changes. This is about being made new. So we see what this is not about, don't we? This is not salvation by works. And then we're still scratching our heads and we're asking, well, okay, great. But what is this about? Well, let's get back into that email. Let's select bold. You're going to picture it, bold, italics, and underline. Heed it. Plead it. In this section, Christ calls for a response. To God's word. This section is about responding and responding to God's word. And here, let's just try and shake it up just a little bit. I want you to engage your imagination just for a moment. And I want us to transplant these two guys, the wise man and the fool. And I want you and I to try and imagine that they were sitting in a church service listening to the preaching of the gospel. That cannot be too difficult for you to do, all right? Can't we? To imagine two men, the wise man and the fool, sitting, sitting in a church service, listening to the preaching of God. You can do that, can you? Yes, you can do that. Maybe the boys and girls can do it as well. Imagine two men sitting in the church, listening to the preaching of the gospel. Take the first one. Why is this man wise? Do you see why he's wise? Here is a man who hears the words of Lord Jesus Christ and he reacts. Here's a man who hears the preaching of the gospel and he responds. Isn't it marvelous, actually, if you think about it for a moment? He hears Christ's call for repentance. And what does the wise man do? He actually repents of his sin. And he hears Christ's call for faith. What does the wise man do? He actually puts his trust in Christ for the forgiveness of his sins. And do you know what's brilliant? It doesn't stop there. 
Now he is born again. He continues to listen and respond. He hears Christ's call to judge not others. And what does he do? He fights his tendency to criticize people. And he hears Christ's call for sexual purity in the Sermon of the Mount. What does the wise man do? He listens, responds. He tries to fight his sin. He is a man who listens and does. A man who spends his whole life seeking to demonstrate that evidence of his saving faith. He hears and does. He listens and obeys. Whoa, wait a minute though. There's two guys here sitting in church. So what of his mate? What makes him a fool? Can I ask you to work with me? Can I ask you to find it in the text? I'll give you a second here. Look at verse 26. Let's make sure we're not straying from God's word. Look at verse 26. What makes this man a fool? (laughs) Not in my sight, but in the sight of God. Do you see it? God tells you the fool in his sight is the person who hears the words of Christ. And then notice that next phrase. See the next phrase? He hears the words of Jesus and does not do them. And you surely understand what has been said there, do you? You do, right? Who's the fool, friend? He's a person who is happy to sit in church. And the fool is somebody who's happy to listening to the preaching of the gospel. But the fool is somebody who does nothing at all with that. The fool in God's sight. The fool is somebody who who maybe even agrees with a lot of what is said. Isn't that a thought? And the person who even thinks that by listening he is somehow being made right with God. But who is the fool? The fool is someone who does not react to that. Does not do anything with that. Does not respond to it. And I am a minister of the gospel. And I'll tell you this for nothing. I find this so sad. So sad. I mean, you think about it. You find it sad as well. Do you not? Like a person can time and time and time and time again hear the, the call to repent from sin and do nothing. Never repent. Hear time and time again this call for faith in Christ Jesus and, and, and never to believe in Jesus. Isn't it sad? As a Christian, isn't it, isn't it sad? It is sad. But I wonder if it's you. I wonder if it's you. Like you've seen the substance of the contrast. You, you see the nature of this story. Which one of these two people are you, friend? I mean, are you, are you somebody who has, who has, by the grace of God, heard the gospel and responded? You've heard and done in the eyes of God. Is that you? That's wonderful. But is that not you? Are you somebody who has heard the message of the gospel, heard the preaching of the gospel and, and not responded? Or let me be even more blunt. Who are you? Which one are you? Are you the wise man? Are you the fool? So we see something of the substance of the contrast here. But then secondly, I want us to think about the security of the Christian. Okay? The security of the Christian. If you're visiting um, LCPC this morning... Um, my accent's probably given it away, but I am not from around these parts. <laughs> um, I'm from a land far away called Scotland. And um, if you're visiting, what I need you to appreciate is how boring Scotland is as a, a country, really. We have this reputation of having a terrible climate in Scotland. 
okay, which is a justifiable uh, reputation to have. But the thing about Scotland is there's no peaks and troughs. You know, it's not really exciting. Like in Scotland, you very, very, very rarely get a big dramatic storm. You know, in Scotland, it just rains all the time. You know, it's just like permanent ground drizzle. And there's, it's very rarely peaks and troughs and these big dramatic storms. But the majority of the people in this room just now, you're not from Scotland. Right? So I can ask you to think about the times that you sat through dramatic storms. You know what that's like, right? Don't you? They're quite amazing things to be in a storm, aren't they? You know, the lightning crashing and the thunder and the rain. You know, the rain and the wind, like you've, you've, you just can't quite believe. They're dramatic, aren't they? Incredibly dramatic. That's the sort of thing that you need to be thinking about with this portion of scripture. Like you must have noticed, did you? You must have noticed that the mention consistent, re- repeated mention of rain and wind. And, and do you know what? I think this morning, if you and I look into this storm in Matthew's gospel, I think what we'll see are two promises that God is giving you this morning. In this storm, you look into the rain, you will see two promises, two Christians staring back at you, okay? The first one might not be that great news, okay? Because I think here we see this, that storms are a part of the Christian's experience, Storms are a part of the Christian life. Do this with me. Look at verse 25. And just answer me this. Against whose house does the rain and the wind come? Do you see it? Like We always think about it as being the fool. But it's not, is it? Linger on this, even if you think it's very simplistic. Think about it, against the wise man, the wise in Christ's eyes, against his house, against his home, come storms. He is battered by storms. Now I'm saying to you, is that not an incredibly vital message in the present climate of contemporary Christianity? Isn't it? That the wise in Christ would face storms. Isn't that important? I mean, what do you see, friend, when you look at the picture of Christianity across the world. What do you see in so many churches? Isn't it true that there is this really dangerous virus spreading right throughout Christianity? There's really deadly disease spreading through all the continents, all over the place. What is this disease? What does it say? It suggests that if we are obedient and if we are faithful, then all is going to be calm in our lives. If we're just obedient, if we're just faithful, we'll never face any storms. Everything's going to be calm. In fact, if we're obedient and faithful, we are going to materially prosper. It's another message that so many people, Christian churches are hearing and saying. You know, if I just give money to this church, and if I just listen to this particular preacher and his ideas, what's God's going to reward me. Things are going to be calm in my life. I'm going to be rewarded with health and blessing and prosperity. And I ask you, What do you see in that text? You see that that is not the case. In fact, I wonder if you noticed that the storm that comes to the fool and the wise man is exactly the same. The description of the storms are exactly the same. What is the message here? Do you hear it? Do you get it? Friends, we're going to face storms. Even if we are obedient, man, even if we are faithful as Christians, maybe especially when that is the case, You and I are going to face disappointment. We're going to face 
disease, you and I. We're going to face a storm of unemployment, a storm of unhappiness. You and I are even going to face the storms of death. But I did say two promises, didn't I? I said two promises. For, for this one, I want us to go old school. You know, I'm getting old, so I, I forget the email inbox. Forget, let's just pick up a pen. And for this promise, let's underline this. Let's, let's go really old school and get highlighter pen. Listen to me if you're a Christian. Please listen to me. We are promised here that, Christian friends, those storms will never bring you down. And don't you agree with me that that is so overlooked in this portion of Scripture? Like we rush straight to the fool, don't we? We rush to the fact that his house is flattened and so seldom linger on the fact that the wise man house, it stands and it stands strong, but it does. And you can see why, Christian friend. What is it built on? It's built on rock. And you know what that rock is, do you? Let me read it to you. This is Isaiah 28. Please hear these words. God says to us, behold... I am the one who has laid a foundation in Zion, a a rock, a stone, a precious cornerstone of sure foundation. Friends, by listening and responding, the wise man is now built on the rock of Jesus Christ. And now and forevermore, his foundation is secure. And I wonder if you don't find that inspiring and encouraging this morning, especially the case If right now, you as a Christian are going through an utter crisis in your life. If you as a Christian are going through a matter of trauma, an unprecedented despair. If you are, do you not see what God has done? He brings you into this room. You open his word. And what is the message of the text? That no matter that storm, Christ Jesus will hold you up. And Christ Jesus will hold you forever strong. That there will never, ever, 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 ever be subsidence as far as your spiritual future is concerned, Christian friend. No cracks in the walls of your spiritual security will ever appear. No matter the hurricane, really, no matter the whirlwind, no matter the storm, Christ Jesus will support you, will sustain. What? What were the words of that song that we ended our service with last week? Can you remember? Were you here? Do you remember what we sang? Think about how suitable it is. Our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Do you you remember? I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name, on Christ the solid rock. I stand all other ground to sink in sand. All other ground sink in sand. Do you see it? Friends, yes, you as a Christian are going to face storm after storm after storm. But by God's grace, responding to the gospel of God. You know this, don't you? Your future, your foundation is secure. And it is secure, built on the Son of God, built on the Lord Jesus Christ. So we see the substance of the contrast and we see the security of the Christian. And then we close with the situation of the condemned. The situation of the condemned. Surely as we close, you can see what we have to do, I think. We surely have to deal properly with this fool in the story and the calamity that comes to his life. Before I do that, I, I want to acknowledge how difficult the third point of a sermon can sometimes be. 
I know this because I wasn't always a minister. And I've sat where you're sitting. And I know how tired we can be, especially on a Sunday morning. What is it about a Sunday morning? The previous week, maybe we've been working hard, working hard. We get to a Sunday morning and we crash. Then we get into church and we have to listen to two points before we get to the third point. So I appreciate where we are with this. To fight that, can I ask you? I'll not do the work, I'll ask you. What do you think the message with the fool what do you think that is? I mean, is wind, rain, flattens us. What, what do you think the message of the fool is? Is it that if we merely listen to Christ's words, that some point in our life we will be flattened, that we will falter and fall away? Do you think that's the message of this text? Do you know what? Yeah, <laughs> it is. Certainly that is part of it, friend. Last week, if you were here, I said that if you've been a Christian for a long time, there's something that you've seen time and time again. Do you remember what it was? I said, if you've been a Christian for a long time, you've seen people's initial enthusiasm fizzle out. Remember I said that last week? Do you know there's something else that you've seen if you've been a Christian for a long time? And that's false professors of Christianity fall away because of trials in their life. Isn't that true? How many times have we seen that? People who have falsely professed faith in the Lord Jesus Christ fall away because of tra- they are diagnosed with disease. And what happens? They end up denying God their profession is seen as being insincere. In or they're made redundant. They're made unemployed. And they end up through that denying there cannot be a God of love. There cannot. I do not believe this. And certainly that is part of this message, this Foolish man, his foundation on sand is blown away and flattened. And I want to say to you, friends, that is not the main message of this text. And I want you to see it and grasp it as you go out of this door. So look at verse 27. Even the boys and girls do it with me and answer this question. What type of storm is this? Look at verse 27. Answer me, what type of storm is it? Like, is it a hurricane? Is it? What type of storm is it, people? Is it a hurricane? Is it a whirlwind? Is it a gale? Is it a typhoon? What sort? Do you see what it is? It's a flood. It's a flood. And surely at this point, our biblical theology kicks in, doesn't it? Because what do we know about floods in the Bible? What do we know about floods? We know that so often in Scripture, floods are a picture of the final judgment of God, aren't they? Floods are this picture of the day in the last, the day of judgment, the day and the time when God will wipe away the wicked. Isn't that right? If I say to you floods in the Bible, what do you do? Where do you think? You all think of Noah. Isn't that right? That picture anticipating the final day where God does me out judgment on the wicked in the last. You all think, what do you? Listen to Ezekiel. God says this, anticipating the day of wrath. He says, say to those who smear their walls with whitewash, those walls in the end shall fall. And then God says this, there will be a flood. There will be a deluge of rain. 
and you one day will fall. Friends, do you see the point? This is not just a warning of people falling away. This portion of scripture is a warning of people being condemned and punished in the last. People who who listen to the gospel and hear the words of Jesus Christ and they merely reflect on those words and never ever repent. People who simply bear the good news of the gospel in mind and never believe in Jesus Christ. Here is a warning. What happens to them in the end? There will be a complete and a violent ruin. I mean, listen to the words God says to you here. The floods will come, be against the house, and the house will fall. Great will be the fall of it. Great will be their fall. And as I end this right now, and as I apply this, I long for you to appreciate the position of this text. Do you see what we're dealing with this morning? Do you see the position of it? Have a look at the page. What have we got in front of us? Have you appreciated that this is the end? I mean, we've been in the Sermon of the Mount for months. We've been in the Sermon, Sermon of the Mount since September of last year, week in. Week out, week in, and yeah, we're going to have one more sermon reflecting back. Do you understand that this is the last of it? Do you understand that, that Jesus closes this sermon with this story of the wise man and the fool? You understand that this little story that we relegate to, to children, just say it's only for kids, it's not for anyone else. These are the last words Jesus speaks in this sermon on the hill. And, and don't you agree with me that that adds a certain gravity and a certain weight to what we're dealing with? I mean, how does Jesus conclude this grand and epic countercultural Christian manifesto? What does he do? How does he end it? By again confronting you with the urgent state of the human heart. Again, the Lord Christ ends his sermon showing you the emergency situation in the good news. So I wonder, if you're not a Christian this morning, the question I have for you is really simple and straightforward. What are you going to do? Like, if you're not a Christian, what are you going to do? Like, you've seen here, your sin is way too serious for you to deal with yourself. You can't do anything with your sin. You need Christ Jesus. You need his sacrifice. You need his righteousness. What are you going to do here? Is it going to be the case, even after a section of scripture like this, is it going to be the case that you sit, listen, and do nothing else? Is that it? You hear You maybe reflect on the good news, but nothing else. Or will you do something different this morning? Friend, I would urge you that that be the case. I would urge you, if you're not a Christian, that you would hear and do. That this morning you be wise and you respond to the gospel. I would urge you that you trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, the rock of salvation, and come to have forevermore a foundation that is secure. Friends, let's pray. Lord, our God, we thank you for what the psalm tells us. Psalm 103 tells us that you are enthroned over the flood. And Lord God, we marvel at your greatness And the fact that you will stand in judgment in the last. 
And Lord God, we thank you that as Christians, you promise us that we will stand true and firm through the trials and storms of this life. Lord, we thank you that we can rejoice in that. But we thank you for the eschatological picture we have, that even when the floods of judgment flow, that because of Christ's work, our foundation will be secure. And so we praise you for this. Lord God, we ask that you would make many wise and wise unto Christ. We pray in his name. Amen.